welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm your other host, Dungeon Master John. And today we are talking about an interesting subject with our guest Derek Nekritz. We are talking about breaking the fourth wall in D&D games. John, I'm looking forward to that conversation coming up in the meet. But before we do that, we've got some five-star reviews. So our first five-star review comes from Jason the Bar Massey, and it's entitled A Darn Good D&D Show. Five stars. If you haven't given this a chance, then you really should. There's a reason that it gets mentioned so often in D&D circles. Wow, I didn't even realize we get mentioned that often. I'm just sad that we don't get mentioned in D&D triangles. Okay, that's a terrible joke. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Jason. We super appreciate that. And our next one comes from Philovax and is entitled Endless Inspiration, Endless Ideas, Endless Fun. Five stars. This show is another tool in my DM toolbox, right next to my books and foam board. The hosts provide a wide berth of information and ideas for DMs of all types, whether you play a fun game with friends and family to deadly survival games. Keep it up, guys. You rock. Thanks so much, Philovax, and right back at you. You rock as well. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Our third review comes from Blizznatch, and it's entitled... What's that tool you guys were talking about? And I'm pretty sure it's just a question asking yeah, us to answer. Uh, I, I don't hope know if we're prepared for this one, but go ahead and read it. On one episode, you guys were talking about how useful whiteboards are. Then you talked about one that folds down to index card size and has a hex grid on it, or it has a hex grid on one side. What was that thing called? Smiley face. I have no idea is the answer. However, <laughs> what we can do now, as this is being put out at a episode blizznats check the twitter and listeners blockheads if you know what we mentioned in a past episode if you know what this is called please tweet at us so that we can tweet it back out and say here it is blizznats keep an eye on the twitter feed we'll see if we can help you out it's a great mystery this is <laughs> this is where the detectives come in <laughs> and now this is the point where <laughs> where the the <laughs> iTunes reviews just turn into questions about old episodes that we are stumped and go, I don't remember. But with that, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat's back on the menu, boys. <laughs> So, today on The Meet, we have game designer Derek Neckridge joining us, creator of NPC, the role-playing game. How you doing, Derek? Great, thank you, John. It's great to be here. Yeah, welcome to the show. I've been waiting for this episode for a while. I should say, specifically, I've been waiting for this episode since a catacon last year. I've been sitting here just checking my calendar day off uh, day by day. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, we met three years ago at a catacon. Mm -hmm. You played in a game, me and Chris ran, where there was an evil table and a good table playing inside of the mind. Yes, it sounds very complicated. And it was playing inside the mind of one person 
vying for control of that person. That was kind of the reveal at the end. You were part of the good side. I was DMing the evil side. Evil side won. So sorry. But your wife was part of that game, so she was part of the winning side. Yeah. (laughs) We met briefly after that, but last year at Akatacon, me and John and almost every other member of the Block Party Podcast Network that was there We took your table over. You were running a game with your game of NPC, and we took your table over. So this is the game that we're going to talk a lot about in our discussion today. But for any listeners out there who aren't familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So a lot of the Twitterverse knows me as Archmage Derek. I run a blog called The Mage College. About a year and a half ago, I was inspired to write this game that takes the normal tropes of Dungeons and Dragons and kind of combines it with The Office and (laughs) basically says, okay, what if I made the players sit through their own shenanigans and made them the NPCs in an adventure? Yeah, that's that's really where that springboarded to. Yeah, off of a fantastic TV show and a fantastic game. (laughs) Like most things. So I spend a lot of my time doing advice articles, D&D 5e content, and just trying to make the Twitterverse a more positive place. Fantastic. What else have you been working on lately, Derek? Actually, as of yesterday, I've just started doing a port of the Invisible Blade Prestige class into Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. But uh, aside from that, just working out NPCs so that can finally hit the official release beta this August. And then I've got a couple more things coming down the pipe that all have mysterious, pretentious code names. Mmm, pretentious. <laughs> yeah, we have just been doing that main thing, trying to get NPCs pretty much get that squared away to being less of a, a mechanical, mathematical tug of war and something into a little bit less math heavy and, <laughs> and just fun and open. It's been a great time getting that work together. Fantastic. Derek, before we wrap up the interview and start talking about a little bit more about NPC, the game, and the idea of breaking the fourth wall while role-playing... We, of course, have a surprise question from you. This surprise question comes from one of our Silver Dragon Patreon members, Oodles. And Oodles asks, who is your favorite NPC? Either one that you've created or one that you've encountered as a player. I thought this was a perfect question for you and this episode. <laughs> I actually have one like that comes to mind immediately. So recently in a game I've been running in our homebrew setting, our players ran into a tavern girl in a tiefling city named Charm. And she is she uses enchantment magic to get better tips, but she's like this really like strong and forward-thinking character where she doesn't let herself get pushed around as a barmaid. And she's kind of a tribute to Laura Bailey's jester on Critical Role. So she talks with this kind of valley girl Russian (laughs) accent for no reason. And she's just a sweet character that I love bringing to the table. Wonderful. Can Can we get a hint of what she sounds like then? Okay, so it's sort of like if you imagine that uh, she's constantly trying to come up with what she's thinking about, but then usually it ends in a punchline where she says, okay, so I understand we're on the podcast and we've got a bit of time, but I can't take forever, even though I love talking, uh, but you may as well just like get to the point. Here's the quest, go do it and give me the thanks, please. Fantastic. Wonderful. (laughs) Breaking the fourth wall in the answer, which is fantastic. Thank you so much, Oodles, for that question. And thank you, Derek, for answering it. 
let's start talking about this whole idea of breaking the fourth wall. I think when I think of breaking the fourth wall, the thing that as a comic book geek, the thing I immediately go to is uh, any Deadpool adventure. Obviously, I think that's quite appropriate having played in your game NPC, Derek, thinking along those lines. But this whole idea of breaking the fourth wall, I guess to begin with, what does that mean? What is, in case any of our listeners don't know, what does the idea of breaking the fourth wall mean? Breaking the fourth wall is acknowledging the fact that that it, whether it be a show, a movie, a game, acknowledging the presence of what the medium is. Like Deadpool does that constantly, acknowledging the entire comic book universe he's a part of, and even others. Or like, I believe Tiny Tina does that, if you're a fan of Borderlands, by like, you know, mentioning stuff that, you know, it's a quest or that, you know, you have to respawn or do something silly. And it's this really tricky device mm-hmm. because when done properly, it can be absolutely hysterical. But when done poorly or excessively, it can really start to bring a dungeon master down. I mean, I think of acknowledging the audience. That's definitely something Deadpool does. Mm-hmm. He acknowledges you as the reader while you're reading the comics. But yeah, like you said, it's it's also, it can be acknowledging elements of the media. And so if we're talking about a role-playing game, this is that moment when you, and most dungeon masters have this, when the player is talking and they say oh but my ac isn't that good or oh but my to hit isn't that good or mentions a rule and joking around you might say wait did you didn't say that in character did you and it's because it's like well that doesn't make sense but what we're talking about here that's exactly what we're talking about is a game where yes the character did say oh this fight's gonna go bad my armor class is not that high it's only a 14 right yeah, and that's it's really a, a huge staple in this game. In fact, there is sometimes, like all I can think of is the Deadpool joke is, you know, <laughs> a fourth wall break inside a fourth wall break where it's about 16 walls. You know, it's the characters that the players are interacting with or even the players themselves are encouraged to say, you know, so the DM just looks at this player and says, why would you do that? Kevin, we talked about this. Like, it can completely discard the fact of everything that you've presented. And the beautiful thing is, is that it doesn't take place outside that fourth wall. It takes place everything inside of it. So part of it's about that comedic timing, especially if you are going to take the concept of breaking the fourth wall and throwing it elsewhere, because the timing of it is everything. Because if you're just, you know, talking outside that the entire time, then really you're just sort of I don't know, maybe metagaming? Dare I use that word? Dare you use that word. And I feel like that's kind of along the lines of what we should mention here is you kind of mentioned it really quick, but in most games, this whole breaking the fourth wall thing, if it's an occasional joke, that's awesome. But in most games, like you said, it can just be really frustrating as the DM Uh, Because you have to say, no, no, guys, come on, let's stay in character, let's focus in, or the player will go, oh, clearly I didn't say that in character. That was just me talking as a player. Uh, But you said comedy. Comedy is totally the game to bring this into, very comedic aspect of the game. But it is definitely a good thing in certain comedy games. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, Derek, is there like a, is there a way that, you would say if somebody's going to play that in a Dungeons and Dragons game, is there a type of game that you would say this is perfect for long-term, short-term? Does this fit for all comedy kind of games? I would say that, again, it goes down to, you know, the holy grail that is the session zero, where 
you sit down with your players and you establish what the tone is going to be from the get-go. Because I think that's one thing that players and game masters often overlook is they don't talk about the tone. They might say, okay, we're going to do a Hmm. zombie horror survival. And then everybody says, oh yeah, that sounds great. But they don't talk about what is the expectation as far as, are we trying to keep a sides low? Are we trying to honor a very grim and gritty feel so that way it keeps people immersed in sort of the mindset and the overall feeling that the dungeon master is trying to create because to most degrees storytelling is about keeping that consistency and keeping the participant drawn in but when you set aside and say okay this is a comedy game anything goes stuff like this is absolute magic like i often think of you know one joke that's just kind of perfect that I always want to drop into almost any game is the moment in Robin Hood Men in Tights where everyone is, you know, thinking that Robin lost the archery tournament and everyone pulls out the Robin Hood script and starts seeing, you know, it's like, oh yeah, okay, he gets a second shot. You know, that sort of, that sort of thing where it's like, you know, I can imagine the the wizard is standing there on the battlefield and he just pulls out the player's handbook and begins <laughs> furiously flipping through to see how stone skin works or something. Holding up a finger the whole time to the monsters who are like, they have the hammers raised over him, but they're like kind of dumbfounded waiting. Hold on a second. Hold on, ogres. Wait up. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, just that kind of moment. Where the, <laughs> even the GM could, you know, take that moment to, to describe something and say, as you wonder if you're going to cast shield or not, the ogre's <laughs> hammer closes in and draws back and closes in and draws back and closes in and you cast it. And the hammer hits the shield completely useless against the force field that you have just summoned, much to his disappointment and frustration. John, when we played in NPC the game, this was definitely something that as players we did. Do you remember when we played, do you think that was it difficult for us as players to kind of get into the right mindset or was it like an immediate boom, we're in it, let's do this? I feel like we started off a little slow. Like we started off very much trying to play, even though we were playing as NPCs, trying to play as if we were all our own character and then... All of a sudden, we just by, I don't know if it was something you did or maybe something Andrew did while he was pretending to be a mayor. We were just like, oh, wait, we can all know what exactly each other are thinking because the NPCs are all played by the DM. So we should all know everything. Then we almost on like another level broke like that fourth wall within this fourth wall breaking game. Exactly. Well, and that's the whole aspect that your game is is based off. It's that it's called NPCs because we are all playing the NPCs in this game. And there was that moment where in the game there was realization of, wait, wait, all the NPCs are run by the Dungeon Master. Derek as the GM for NPCs, he's rolling, role-playing the player character. So you're role-playing a group of players playing their PCs. That means that every single one of us players of NPCs, holy cow, this is quite the explanation, <laughs> right? We are all playing NPCs run by a dungeon master. Therefore, we are all role-playing one person, role-playing all these different types of characters. 
And yeah, John, when we hit that point where we like got it, the breaking the fourth wall started like going nuts. Like we were talking to each other and then <laughs> we would be, then Derek would be going, he'd, he'd talk as one of the players and he'd be like, Steve, <laughs> who was like the name of the DM. He'd be like, Steve, why are you talking to yourself? Like you, you're, you're talking to yourself. What are you doing? Like it was just this amazing realization when we did it and interacting with both of the all the npcs that were run by the same dungeon master controlled by five people it really just was this click moment derek as you've run games of npcs has this been your experience that you've seen the players kind of there's always this moment where it's just like they got it it's it's here it just happened in the game or has it been have you had groups that it's like right from the get-go they've got it and maybe have you had groups that it's like i don't think it really clicked for them uh, that's a really great question because I think it sort of depends on how into it the, the group is really prepared to get. <laughs> a lot of them kind of like you have that moment where they go, oh my gosh, wait, you realize what we are, right? And so that's partially, you know, what I try to, I try to hint at it and I try to leave that realization for themselves, especially for new players, because like you guys said, it's so fun when all that comes together. For some people, I, I will kind of give them a little bit of a more succinct explanation so it's clearer. Especially if, you know, as they're looking it over, they are, aren't are completely sure as to how it's supposed to work. Like, the one factor where, uh, the one basic rule is all NPCs can be in any scene they want to. And, you know, the reason being is that a dungeon master can just drop whatever NPCs into the scene that he feels like doing. <laughs> he or she, they feel like doing. And then, you know, when the players the the actual players of npcs understands this they go oh my gosh you know that means that we can come in and go as we please we don't have to ask do i get there it's no yeah you're there so it's kind of what i've noticed is sort of the fun thing about it is that you know there's this moment where it's almost like the characters the npcs that they're playing gain this sort of self-awareness that's sort of beautiful so it, it really depends but most of them have really just caught on to it about the same moment of play that you guys have Breaking the fourth wall is a great way to make fun of RPGs in a loving way. One of the favorite weeks that I've played D&D as a dungeon master, one of my players, my cousin, who likes to play really serious games, said something to set off everybody else on deciding they were not going to be serious at all this week. And one of them immediately goes, what did you roll? And she's like, you can't say what you rolled. And he was like, all right, well, I shot my bow. And on a scale of 1 to 20, I would give myself an 11 on that shot. And then for the rest of the game, everybody was going, oh, how much HP do you have? Oh, on a scale of 1 to 45, I'm like, I don't know, I feel about a 16. It became a bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that, Derek, I noticed in when you ran NPC, you really brought, as the GM of that game, aspects that it's like, there are all these memes out there about D&D and role-playing games, and you kind of brought those memes to life and just jokes and tropes, uh, and you brought them into the game, and you were just like, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to focus on in this game. Can you talk a little bit about like different aspects that you kind of amplify in the game of NPC when you are running the game? So the funny thing about bringing these to life is, is that, you know, we're all thinking them, right? Every time we're at one of these games, 
you know, most of us are thinking something. Like, you know, we have the idea of the horrific Nat 1. We have the idea of the sort of uh, the problem player or the munchkin player. And the fun thing about the game is that every single session, you buy the rules or you're supposed to have a problem player. You're supposed to have one that causes the chaos. And there's other tropes that actually fit that. You know, there are a actor characters involved, as I did in your game. There can be DMPCs that come along. So that the rest of the group doesn't know they're DMPCs until they're like, no, this guy's a DMPC. But when it comes to just talking about, like, you know, you, you might bring into to focus, like, the idea that someone has made a character like Pun Pun, <laughs> where it's like, oh, well, now my strength is 100. And the GM, or I might describe it as, like, you know, this character leans on the wall, the wall of this building and the entire building disintegrates. And at that moment, you regret the fact that he d took the pun-pun build. You know, it's just about weaving these tiny things together because there's sort of this beauty in when you're breaking the fourth wall and bringing these tropes into it, you are acknowledging these things that you love and you want to see come into play, but part of the sort of our better selves, our, su our super egos, if you will, are telling us, no, 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 don't, don't make that joke. That's... That's low-hanging fruit. That's the the D and D meme. And you know, in breaking the fourth wall, that doing that sort of thing, like John said, you know, on a scale of <laughs> one to sixty-seven, I'm doing it about a, a three. <laughs> you you have these things. You have all this stuff that we try so hard to ignore. It's about acknowledging it, right? And I think that probably the the easiest way that you know I would encourage anybody looking to run a fourth wall breaking comedy chaotic good time <laughs> is that you know just acknowledge the elephant in the room really that's all you can do it's like you know you could do something as simple as the sorcerer stares you in the face as he fumbles through his wallet looking down at his wallet and looking back at you he goes "Ooh, i never wrote that down on my character sheet. <laughs> he leaves the room walks across town to the bar and say hey how much loot did he get last time as the bard is negotiating lunch the bard pulls from his back pocket a small set of sheets that has his name on it and everything on his person. As he rifles through it for a moment, he says, oh, we got about 300 gold last time. The sorcerer nods, heads back across town into your shop, walks back and says, I've got about 300 gold, give or take. And that 300 gold has now just magically appeared in his wallet. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> you can do something like, you know, even say, uh, and this is one of my pet peeves at a table, too, and it's, you know, it's one of the ones I love to make fun of, is that, you know, someone dro who drops their dice at the, at the table, you know, I know it can't be helped sometimes, but, you know, in the middle of negotiating with the mayor, the fighter, as he's about to make a really good point, suddenly begins looking furiously under the table going, oh, where'd that go? <laughs> I love the idea, like, even of you were talking about of, like, the pun-pun class. I had, like, in acknowledging the things, the elephant in the room, I had this idea of, like, a party of PCs arguing with each other after a battle because one of the PCs, the warrior, like, killed three out of the four monsters and arguing amongst each other about, like, how Dordain is broken and op and we need to like he he took all the magic items and we need to nerf his character jordan you need to be nerfed 
you're way too strong, which is an absolute ridiculous argument to have after you were assailed by bandits and you beat them. But that's exactly something that happens with the players at the table. So breaking the fourth wall and having just your PCs break into that discussion and that argument. Nerf your character. When you fight, you have to fight left-handed now, Dordain. Come on, this is ridiculous. <laughs> right. It's like you get too many attacks around and everyone standing around <laughs> is like, what's around? <laughs> that's kind of the fun thing is that you can even make it, you can make those things plot devices, right? You can, this happened in our game that we ran, is that, you know, the the problem player is given a magical item by a very irresponsible magic item salesman (laughs) that infinitely makes rabbits, and then she then proceeds to mass polymorph all these rabbits into dragons, and... As the whole town is watching on horror, I be- one of you guys said, oh, I see where I went wrong in creating that item. <laughs> one of us might have said that. I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, you can, you can do it, you know, in so many different ways. Like, for instance, like talking about having to nerf the character. So, you know, the, the evil wizard is actually seeking to nerf the party somehow. So he's coming up with some elaborate thing that will, you know, throw the wrench into their perfect and optimized build. The wonderful thing about breaking the fourth wall is that logic that doesn't normally apply, even though it's sound logic, suddenly begins to matter. If you're running a comedy game and it's like, well, why would he do this? And it's the idea is to, you know, TPK the party. And as he's like, say, you know, talking about it, everyone else who's listening is going, what is a TPK? What is, why does he keep using that word? <laughs> There's so many tropes you can just take and make fun of. Like you did with our game, you really just drove home different PC traits. Like you're talking about the problem player, but this was something that you really drove home. In fact, you pulled upon as our GM and you were playing these PCs, you pulled upon different PCs from previous campaigns, real Dungeons and Dragons campaigns that you had played in. And you took those characters that you had DM'd for one at one time and you brought them into this world with players who had never experienced these these PCs and you brought them in as the ridiculous PCs that did not care about the lives of the NPCs and the shenanigans that happened because of that. And it was that whole idea of you were taking things that in retrospect, looking back at games you had already played, these were funny, ridiculous things, maybe sometimes even frustrating at the time things but in the game where you break the fourth wall it's all a joke and it's all there on a silver plate for you to just take it's a sort of interesting like palette of paints to work with because you know the, you, you have these sort of tropes of players you know i've seen article after article uh written about how you know what is this sort of players you know thing how do you engage with them And then, you know, bringing them to life in a satirical fashion, you know, it's without those characters, I would never have even come up with the idea of creating this game. And being able to pull them off the shelf for other people to enjoy, I think, you know, one of the the pieces of feedback I always get is like, you know, I can see this being a real party. And my answer is, it was. Because, you know, we often fall into those tropes. We often fall into those little pitfalls of, this is how we see ourselves. 
it's something that is always kind of there. And, you know, one, one task is definitely making it appropriate for, you know, how do I take my mm. best friend's character and use it in a game he's sitting there playing in and, you know, that he knows I'm doing it with love. In the game the following day, there was this one instance where they were fighting a, I won't get into how it happened, but they were fighting a giant banana hydra because the fruit <laughs> merchant decided to use the villainize option. And so he became the super magical villain controlling a banana hydra. And in the middle of the fight, Please hold on one second. Yeah. Please tell me that when a banana hydra sprouts another head, it like the peels like open up and the head comes out. Oh, naturally, naturally. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, it's like how else would I do it? I mean, this isn't my first rodeo. <laughs> this isn't my first banana hydra, Mitch. <laughs> and you know, there's this really funny moment Are you where the player character that I as the GM are running. It's so, I feel like I need cards, like, you know, to keep track of, like, the player character that I'm playing as the GM <laughs> was a character that, that belonged to my best friend Andy. And, you know, the joke is that, you know, we always say that we get very personally offended when our characters are defeated in combat. And the moment was, you know, and I was so afraid to, to, to do this joke in front of everybody, is as you see the dwarf cleric fall to the ground unconscious, you hear a voice echo across the table. Whatever, fine, it doesn't matter anyways. <laughs> and the, the game was derailed for five minutes of Andy was laughing that hard because that joke was just, you know, it came from a very, you know, it was fun so place. Real. It was so real. But, you know, yeah. it's something we acknowledge because, you know, that's also, you know, the offset of it is you have to be aware of what is, how much of this wall can I break and, and where can I take from? That character is dying on the ground. And their last words is just, that <laughs> last roll was bull. <laughs> or, you know, like the flaming boulder is, you know, hurtling towards the rogue. He goes, it's okay, I have evasion. And he rolls a one. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, it's definitely a very strange set of building blocks to work with. But, you know, if you know people and you respect them and, you know, they trust you and you trust them enough to satirize them. It's, you know, it's a great time. Yeah, and, and obviously in your game, like we talked about, the nature between the relationship between DM and players is explored in a whole different light because, like we said, when you're playing in that game, you're playing NPCs controlled by the DM and the, the GM is controlling PCs controlled by the players you can run a game like that, or you can run a game with your players where you are the dungeon master and that they are playing the PCs. But I think one of the greatest aspects of this is that with breaking the fourth wall, you're also, we've kind of already alluded to this, but this is the whole point that you're also role-playing both the PC and you're role-playing the player and as the dungeon master you're both role-playing the monsters and you're role-playing the dungeon master him or herself running those monsters or running those npcs so you gotta like get into that mentality of i'm role-playing the guy who's role-playing right now <laughs> let's yeah. let's get into those tropes let's get into those personality types that, I think, was the thing that when I played in MPC and John played and the rest of the group, I think that was the thing that really made that game for us. For me, my favorite part wasn't role-playing the MPC I was in charge of, although it was a blast. For me, it was the times where I paused. I said, <laughs> hey, 
stop right there, Derek, and I'd pause you, who were the GM, because I realized, actually, I'm the DM of this game, mm -hmm. and I would tell you to roll, like, a deck save or something <laughs> yeah. along those lines because you're getting into role-playing the people at the table who are behind the the PCs and the NPCs and the monsters that are being played, which is, oh my goodness. It's, it just seems like the more I explain it, the more I'm just like, I feel like this is just coming off like a, such a long explanation, but it's a pretty simple concept that just turns out to be this great comedic game. <laughs> there was definitely a moment where looking around the table, like we were doing something and everybody realized that playing as the DM, we had absolute power, Yes, even though we were the player in the game, so that you could just, like, I was playing as magic shop owner, and I could create anything I decided <laughs> existed and give it to people. And you did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you did, and that's the moment where it went all wrong, like Derek said at the beginning. Which was almost your downfall. And it was, there was that moment where we, we realized what was going on. Because at the beginning, Derek, I remember us as players, we kept on looking at you and like, oh, can we do this? And oh, can we do this? And you, every time you just kind of answered like, yeah, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> and eventually we realized, yeah, we can do it. We're the dungeon master. We can create things out of thin air. This is fantastic and awful and amazing. I'm doing this and, oh, and the mayor's here now. And this person showed up and, oh, now you're dead and in jail. I'm sorry, Derek. Like, That's really the, it's so much fun to see people to, to get that because there is, in the most recent changes, and this is kind of the, the really fun thing about it, is that there are two major, like, health bars that you have, quote-unquote, is the town's money, the funds, that they can reasonably, you know, recover from damages. But there's also the game itself has hit points now. Because the Dungeon Master's main job is to keep the game together. So mm -hmm. even though you guys can do anything, and, you know, as for listeners, as the Dungeon Master, you can do anything, but you still have to desperately try to hold the game together. It's like, you know... Cut to every single shot in every single Marvel movie of somebody <laughs> holding on to something with both arms stretched out as hard, far as they can, holding on for dear life. That's really, you know, the role that that <laughs> stuff like this will put you into. And, you know, you can really, you can mm. really sympathize with the dungeon master because of the stuff that they go through. And that's really how this game and even that concept, you know, came about. Was mm. I said in a sort of disparaged moment, said, ah. Oh, if only these guys knew what I went through for them. And then I went, oh my god, that's brilliant. And <laughs> that was the concepting process. Because, yeah, there there is kind of this funny lesson in the fact that as the players of this game, as this dungeon master, you can do anything. But just because you can do anything doesn't mean that you're impervious. But in your guys' case, getting some magical watermelon and bacon together mm. somehow saved the day, you know? That's all the DM making a single, you know, arbitrary decision <laughs> at the last moment and thwarting a problem player. It's a wonderful acknowledgement of the system and tropes that are there. So like we said, you can play this game multiple ways. You can play it with the players role-playing, PCs and players. Or if you want to take the NPC format, then have them role-play the NPCs and thus they are in charge of role-playing the Dungeon Master. Brilliant concept. This is one of the reasons why, Derek, when you have NPC out and published, I want to make sure every one of our listeners knows that they should go 
and check that game out because it's fantastic. But I will just say this, that that type of play style and the game that you ran for us, I don't think I've ever played a game that was the perfect example of needing to role play and improv with the yes and mentality. Because this whole idea, you as the GM for the game of NPC, realizing before we realized it, because you set up the game, that we were the dungeon master and so we had all the power, you had to go into that game, running that game, with the strongest yes and mentality ever. Any question we threw out to you was like, pretty much, yeah, yeah, you can do that. And you, like you said, you at no point were you like, yes, you can do that because you're the dungeon master and you have the power. You let us get to that conclusion ourselves, which was 100% the way it should be done because there was that beautiful realization light bulb moment. But you were, as the GM, having to do this yes and thing. And on the flip side of that, because me and John and all the other players were also the dungeon masters, <laughs> whatever John said... I had to yes in because John was role-playing me because <laughs> I was the dungeon master and John was the dungeon master and our friend Andrew who was playing whatever he said was was the right thing because he was the dungeon master. I remember my NPC, my NPC had run off into the woods, didn't want anything to do with the rest of the group, had stolen a bunch of loot, and then I believe it was our friend Andrew said there was a town meeting and all of the NPCs were gathered, and I just <laughs> had to yes end, and my character broke the, broke the fall, fourth wall and was like, how did I get here? I was just in a cave in the woods. I just, like, teleported here. But it's it's that aspect of when you're all playing the Dungeon Master, you're all 100% in charge. So you have to yes end everything that happens. And I thought that was something brilliant, an undertone to the game that really teaches that to the players. And this is, I think, as comedic as this game is, it can teach a lot of beautiful role-playing techniques. Oh, absolutely. You know, like like I had, you know, mentioned, it's, you know, it, it came out of this moment where it's like, I wish people could understand what Dungeon <laughs> Masters go through. Yeah. And it, it does have a lot of interesting lessons in it. You know, this kind of strange relationship between all the players uh, of this game and, and games like it is that you know you usually have to or at least in my experience you know you have to be like okay who's gonna be the healer going once <laughs> going twice dennis you were the healer you weren't the healer last time it's your turn here you go buddy <laughs> you know it it promotes a sort of cohesion you know because you you like you said you're all the same person trying to keep the game going and you know that's what dungeon master is frequently you know try to do you know a lot of some dungeon masters have a hard time saying no but you know dungeon masters usually feel they're most powerful when they're saying yes and and in john's example you know he said yes and i do have this hat of you know infinite rabbits here you go and you know and that's and that's kind of the funny thing is that it's like you know the lesson in that is when dungeon masters aren't thinking they go yes and that's when they create their biggest problems it's their greatest power and their greatest gift it offers players the opportunity to experience that firsthand because you know they're they're told you know what they succeed in and and don't succeed on dungeon masters we just say what we succeed on it's like oh yeah he did a triple backflip landed in the superhero landing and he's mm -hmm. not even like has a slightest bit of dirt on him he looks fantastic <laughs> well meanwhile you know congratulations on your you're rolling that two on acrobatics here's 8d6 points of embarrassment damage <laughs> so so ultimately yeah it's you know it's things that i hope you know 
people can use as a tool by exploring these relationships, exploring this sort of dynamic to to improve their game experience. Yeah. Ultimately. Derek, I just wanted to ask you which one of your NPCs or which couple of them are your favorite to do during this game? So what kind of what are your favorite PCs? Yeah. yeah. For for like the player side of things, like who do I bring in? What are your favorite PCs to play as as the GM in this game? <laughs> or who are your favorite <laughs> players to role play? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that question will get me in trouble. Um <laughs> They um, might be listening. Yeah, they, they definitely will be. I'll only be <laughs> tweeting this episode out a thousand times. One of my favorite characters is simply because she and her player taught me the value of being prepared to say no is uh, the character Uriella, who hmm. you guys ran into. She was the war mage who tried to sell a dragon skull made of salt and <laughs> radically destabilized the, the economy. Oh. She polymorphed, you know, X number of rabbits into dragons. I also love, and it's this one's dangerous, I love using my wife's rogue because this rogue has the unique ability to turn into a cat. And, you know, the <laughs> long-term choke is no one suspects the cat. So in this game, whenever you catch the cat doing anything, the cat will actually speak and be like, but I'm a cat. I shouldn't be able to be caught. And then, of course, <laughs> there is the, the paladin wizard from another game you guys haven't encountered yet. I would love to play again, though. They're a paladin wizard. Now, you know, the normal trope of paladin's wizard is that they are very centered and you know self-controlled but these guys talk like two of the you know silliest college-going kids because that's literally how my friends talk you know it's like dude get a load of this guy i mean who sells bananas dude i was thinking the same thing and that's what they talk like the entire game amidst <laughs> all of this so th that, that cast yeah well, fantastic. Derek, thank you so much for joining us on this episode, talking about breaking the fourth wall and giving us insight that you've learned from this game that you have created, NPCs. If our listeners would like to get in touch with you, if they'd like to be able to follow you and see how your work on NPCs is going, what are the best ways that they can do that? You can find me at archmage underscore Derek on Twitter. And you can also find me at themagecollege.wordpress.com. NPCs will be coming to, I'm going to try to put it on DriveThruRPG. The beta will be pay what you want when it comes out. And developments and improvements will only be made from there with help from listeners like you. And we'll tweet that out once that goes live so that listeners, you can be sure to check that out. And we want to encourage you. It may have been my favorite game from a catacon this past year. It was pretty fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. Of course. Thanks for being on the show. I had a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. It was great, you guys. It's awesome. Fantastic. And with that, we're going to head to the mailbag of holding. But they've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That darling. right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? So today on the mailbag of holding, I have an email here from GoonchildX23, and it's entitled, Need Help. And he goes in to talk about this is his first time DMing. Awesome, good luck. I, I know you're gonna love it. I hope you're the best. His email is about this world he's creating where the players are, are going to be a group of adventurers and maybe ex-cons going into a new land that's inhabited mostly by orcs and goblins and trolls. And there's a king that wants to take over this land and take its resources. And he's talking about the area being very tribal, almost like an Aztec or Indian setting. And it really reminds me of just 
the pilgrims coming to America and then the colonies forming and King George sending over all these people to colonize America, except instead of Native Americans, he's got, there are orcs there and goblins and trolls. And his question is, hypothetically, the characters won't have that many NPCs to communicate with. And he's saying, shouldn't he leave it this way? Should he make the enemies intelligent so that they can, and speak common maybe, so they can talk with them? And then he goes in to use the example that eventually Native Americans learn English and vice versa. He doesn't know if he wants to start that way or have it develop over time. And he asks for some advice. I really like the idea of these people coming in, maybe like maybe they've been separated forever. Maybe it is a big ocean or a mountain range in the way of their two areas of the world. And you have these adventurers come in and like maybe in their lands, all these creatures, the goblins and orcs and trolls are all evil. But in this new land, maybe some of them are lawful good or good creatures or and you can interact with them. There's a language barrier, but maybe... You have somebody, you have a wizard or somebody who can speak their language or somebody in your group already knows their language and can speak to them. They might not have common here. I, maybe eventually over a long period of time, this king is sending your people to go live in that land. Maybe some of them might pick up common or maybe you're not the first wave. Like maybe this land has been colonized for a while. So some of them do speak common, but I don't think you should force yourself to put in like, if you want them to be enemies, don't force anything. Like, this campaign is whatever you want it to be. Maybe it's a campaign where there isn't much interaction with NPCs. Maybe it's a, a Marco Polo and Lewis What's-His-Name ex exploring across America. Maybe it's a grand adventure where there just is a language barrier. That that's, could be a big, important part of your game, is that everywhere they go, they have to, like, mime out things and find somebody that one of them can communicate with a little bit or have to use magic to communicate, maybe that you write the same language even if you don't speak it. I think there's a lot of really interesting ways you could play this out. I also think it would be really cool if later, if there were bigger colonies and stuff in this world, if you were to do a campaign that really was like a fantasy style American Revolution campaign where you have like, you guys were from this other country but now you like this country and you're working together with the natives and you're feeling independent and there's all these big battles and a war except now there's magic and orcs are fighting with you and goblins are fighting with you against the evil mad king i really like how this is like similar to the exploring the world like the age of exploration and discovering america and everything i think that's a really cool world design and i, I haven't seen that before so Thanks for, thanks for writing in, Goonchild X 23 I hope your DM experience is awesome. I hope you really love it. If you guys want to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Oh, also, we're just about at 400 five-star iTunes reviews, so you guys should jump on there and help us get to 400. That'd be really awesome. And then we'll read them again on the show like we did at the beginning of this episode. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places are great places to go if you would like to have updates on the show and more information on the guests who are on it. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout out goes to DM. DM. 
Dan Fielding. Thanks so much, Dan. We appreciate it for all of your support. Dan is a silver dragon, so thanks for your support, and we hope that you are enjoying all of the rewards on our Patreon. Yeah, thank you so much. The Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. You should check out our other shows like Geek Wars, Detentions and Dragons, and Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters. Well, that's it for this episode of the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all the other people at the table. Until next time, folks. Keep on dungeon mastering. Goodbye.